everybody, welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast Network. Craig Schaub here with George Thomas of the Akron Beacon Journal, sports journalist, film critic. George, how are you doing today? Let's just call it a long day with a very, <laughs> very filling dinner tacked on to it. So that, that's the best way to put it. All right. Well, uh, a lot. The summer blockbuster season is here. Where now we're starting to get multiple uh, film releases per week, new film releases per week, which is a nice welcoming sign. Uh, although the the other two this week are a little bit more of the non-huge, you know, popcorn movie entertainment. Although I know the Green Knight, a movie we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, sort of has maybe aspirations for a big box office return. But the one movie that maybe some people have been waiting for. Um, especially if you're a, a Disney fan where maybe you go to the theme parks and you ride the rides. Jungle Cruise, a, uh, I think what well, this is the second or third movie that they've made off of one of their rides. Pirates of the Caribbean, of course, probably being the big popular one. But, uh, well, this time we get Dwayne Johnson, Emily Blunt, sort of an interesting team up here. What do you think, George? Did it, did, it, did it succeed in any way for you? By, by the way, I looked this up. Yeah. It's like the seventh film based on a Disney Disney. Attraction. Oh, okay. It's like and that shocked me. Right. Uh, no, it, it 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 is what it is. That, yeah. That's what we are. It's it's a popcorn movie. It's enjoyable. Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt, as mixed mismatched as that pairing might seem, have chemistry together. The the one liners fly. Um, but I let, I'm going to be blunt. They stole from a lot of other movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems to be a theme of a theme of Disney, where they steal for themselves and steal from everywhere else. I guess you know, you know, sometimes it's flattering to be you know uh, ripped off a little bit in the movies, uh, you know. But what did you think? Did it go too far, like maybe Luca did, or did it strike enough of a balance of something refreshing oh, yeah. that it, you enjoyed it? it, it it's like. You you get that Pirates of the Caribbean vibe, so they're stealing from them from themselves with with with, with the supernatural element to it. So you know, okay, fine, Disney, they're taking from themselves, but there there's also the Indiana Jones vibe that all yeah. of these films seem to have. There's a little bit of romancing the stone. Yeah, I've heard that as well. As I show my age, there. <laughs> um, there's some. The mummy, not the the good mummy, the the classic mummy, but the mummy that some kids today would consider classic, because it's you know, twenty years old I think now. Yeah. yeah. And um, there's some African, the African queen, you know, a little bogey and 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 Catherine Hepburn I think it was. Oh okay. So yeah, I enjoyed it. There's enough there for kids. There's plenty there for parents. Um, you know, they there's an evolution of sorts because the ride this is based on has been uh, accused of being one of the most, how shall we put it, out of date mm. <laughs> with, okay. re with respect to racial overtones. Right. Rides at Disneyland. And I, I didn't get that here. Okay. They made a, a an effort to correct it, and 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 with a lot of these movies we're seeing, let's call it the last three to five years. Let's call it since the Me Too mo mo movement really took off. It takes its its jabs at the patriarchy, 
Right. Because it's set in during World War One. Emily Blunt's character is a a doctor a doctor of botany, I believe it is. Okay. She's looking for this magic petal. She has to go to Brazil to find it. She has to book a a ship for an Amazon cruise through the jungle to find this this petal. And Dwayne Johnson is that guy. And there there are a couple twists and turns there between them with both characters. Um, She brings her her brother along and and again, there's a twist there. Um, It's it's a it's a very much a hodgepodge because that's what it's sounding like to me. But for for some inexplicable reason, it manages to work on some level sure. to the point where I'm like, okay, give me a bag of popcorn, I'm in. Okay, and it's it's th- to no small credit that that it works because of Johnson and Blunt. Okay. They like I said, they do have chemistry, quick with one-liners, and you know. We're back to it is what it is. So <laughs> that seems to be the standard bear for summer movies these days. Is well, it's it is what it is. It's a popcorn flick at the very least. Uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you, and obviously I haven't seen it yet, and a lot of people have not, but a lot of people have been talking about Jesse Plemons' turn here. I think he. I don't know if he plays the villain, but he plays uh, Prince Joachim. Um, some people are saying he's really hamming it up, maybe even uh, playing like Werner Herzog. Uh, can, did that stand out to you? Because I've heard a lot about everybody just loving what he does or him being over the top as can be. Let me ask you a question. You're given this script. You're given this movie. They ask you to play the villain. The hell else are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it seems like in any film set during World War One or World War Two, the villain is is a German. Right. And you know, in those two eras, and apparently some Germans are worse than it, worse than others. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, he has his fun fun with the roles. And I I'm not gonna pound on him for that. Um Jesse Plemons is a very, very Underappreciated actor at this point, I think. He Coming, was very good in in Judas and the Black Messiah yeah, earlier this year. Yeah, he was, and and coming from I believe Friday Night Lights, I think he's one of the few uh, few few of the kids in that movie who's and went on to enjoy sustained success. Right. After the television show, and you know, I I think most of his roles has been. Most of his roles have been as a heavy. That's fine. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. He he's working, and yeah, and you're you're giving a you, if they give you a role like this, you're gonna ham it up. You're gonna go over the top. I mean, I will I'll, I will say this. At one point, they have him communicating with enchanted bees. Hmm. What are you going to do with that? Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's a lot to unpack. You know, I will say I loved, uh, I, I hated the movie, but I loved Jesse Plemons in Game Night, uh, also with Rachel McAdams and Jason Bateman. He was uh, very hilarious as the neighborhood cop that was like wildly obsessed with his ex-wife and his dog. Uh, so, I, I mean, I love seeing Jesse Plemons on the screen and I can't wait. He's probably, for me, 
the biggest draw for, I mean, I like Dwayne Johnson. I like Emily Blunt, of course, but uh, for some reason, Jesse Plemons being in this movie makes me think, you know what? I would probably want to go see this because of him, even if he's only in the movie for a few minutes. It's more than a few minutes and it's, it's definitely worth it. I mean, I, I, I love what the guy does when he's on the screen. And, he, and you're right, especially in game night. He was probably the weirdest, I'll be the best, I'll be at the best thing right. about yes. that movie, without a doubt. Yeah. Not a good movie, but good talent in that cast. And they just got, unfortunately got wasted. And he was among the best in that cast that got wasted. So, uh, well, it sounds like you, you kind of enjoyed Jungle Cruise. Are you uh, saying that people should take the cruise this weekend and go see it? They should go to theaters. They shouldn't pony up thirty bucks on Disney Premier for Disney Plus Premier Access. I don't know anybody sane who would do that anyhow. But you know, that's that's just me. Let's try this. If it, if you're a family of four and you want to, you might want to do it and pop your own popcorn. I don't know. Look right. look at your your economics and go from there. Sure. But it's given the scenery and everything. It's better appreciated on a large screen for that reason absolutely do you have a final grade for uh, jungle cruise i gave it a b all right so a uh, another popcorn flick as it were for uh, george here you're going to be eating a lot of popcorn george yeah well that that happens during the summertime but keep in mind i get a lot tougher on movies in the fall so <laughs> that's that's good you, you you know what you've got we, we all know Jungle Cruise is not trying to be Citizen Kane, so you can't judge it against Citizen Kane. You have to take it for what it is. And if it's a fun little B-movie, then go see it. Uh, George says take the cruise this weekend here. So uh, maybe if you – do you have to know anything about – because I've never been to Disney. I have no plans on ever going to Disney. Do you have to know what this ride is to appreciate it more or does it help you appreciate it? I mean, I'm not really a big fan of roller coasters and rides and theme parks, so – do you have to care about that to maybe be more invested into something like this movie? I'll be honest with you. I've been to Disneyland once. I've been to Disney World uh, six or seven times. Is there What is the difference between the two? I've never really understood the difference. Disney World is substantially larger. Substantially. Okay. Uh, a lot of people view... Well, Walt Disney viewed Disneyland as his big mistake. Yeah. That's why that's why A, Disney World is so much larger. B, it operates pretty much as an autonomous government with their own police force. Right. They they have a autonomy in Central Florida. Hmm. They don't have that in, in Southern California and Anaheim. Okay. And when he built Disney World, he he I don't know if you could say he's he raked Central Florida over the coals or not, but he made sure he got his way and he, he made sure that property could essentially expand at will and keep control of everything. So that that to me that's a primary difference. There are okay. a lot more there that there are a lot more attractions at Disney World. Okay. All right. Well, I, I feel like I should get like a the more you know star going over my head now that I know all of that about uh, Jungle Cruise and Disney World and Disneyland. So I feel confident now that I can discuss that uh, around the water cooler now. So thanks a lot for that, George. We appreciate 
the information on the insight on that. Uh, it's scary that I know something that ridiculous. <laughs> hey, we all we all have our hidden talents, right? <laughs> well, uh, let's move on to something that I had a lot of high expectations for and a lot of hope for, although it does get this uh, summertime release, and that's Matt Damon's newest film, Stillwater. And no, it's not a... Uh, prequel or sequel to the band Stillwater from Cameron Crowe's Almost Famous. You, you thought of Almost Famous too, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, at first I thought, how cool would it be if they got the gang back together for a little uh, tour again? Uh, but in this case, uh, Matt Damon is uh, playing a father uh, seeking, I believe, to get his daughter uh, out of uh, what's a prison or she's being held captive and he's... French prison. Okay, so he's going on this crusade here. He's an Oklahoman, which I guess is the Stillwater connection. Uh, I had a lot of expectations for this, George. Tom McCarthy is directing and also uh, one of the co-writers on this screenplay. Of course, he co-wrote and directed one of my favorite movies, Spotlight. Loved the film. I thought it perfectly hit journalism on the head, of course, telling the story of the Catholic Church's cover-up of uh, priests abusing children. So this is sort of his next effort after that. How does uh, he and Matt Damon pair up here for Stillwater? Matt Damon's performance is tremendous. It's it's totally unexpected for him, which is surprising to say, because I happen to think he's one of the best actors of the past. Let's go back. Yeah, we're going to have to go back 30 years now. He's been around that long. Um you go back to Goodwill Hunting, even Rounders. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, it's, the story is based loosely on Amanda Knox's story. I don't know if you remember that one. Right. Yeah. Um, he he portrays his father, and mind you, he is he is a consummate Trump flyover country inhabitant. You know what I mean? Right conservative, no BS kind of guy. And his daughter, played by wonderfully by Ab Abigail Breslin, you know, you know how kids are right now. They millennial they can't even say millennials. What what's the generation? Gen Z. Gen Z. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of them think they know everything. But there there there's always something better to for a lot of these kids. You know what I mean? Right. And for her, it was getting the hell out of Stillwater, Oklahoma. Sure. And she had plans to go to Oklahoma State and then came to her grandmother and dad and dropped the bomb that she was going to Mersai to go to college. And um, she got herself in a spot of trouble where a roommate ended up dead. Okay. Um, she's liberal. He's conservative. And there's there are a lot of interesting things going on. You've got that dynamic where, you know, with, with all due respect, she, at a, a lot of times she comes off like a spoiled brat. Um, he's there to help her. And she basically abuses him. Now, he's trying to do everything he can to quote unquote get his little girl out of prison. And that includes at one turn lying to her about her case being reopened. It hadn't been reopened. He took it upon himself to, to do the investigation, to try to find this 
mystery man who who allegedly killed her roommate and lover. And he finds him, but because he finds him with no other help and no no police, this this kid, this man is alerted to the fact that somebody's looking for him. So he's pretty much lost. Now, there's a woman, a single mother helping him in France to do this, to, 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 to find this guy. And after he screws it up, he lets his daughter know that he has, and she goes off the deep end. I don't want to see you anymore. Blah, 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 blah. Stay out. Leave me alone. Me? I would have gone back to America. He stuck around four months later. Right. He's living with the wife and, and or living with the woman and her daughter platonically. You can see where this is going, right? right? You know, he wasn't close to his daughter when she was growing up. He was an absentee father. And his sticking around kind of gives him a second chance at that that family life he blew and and all of this stuff comes together comes to a head it, it, it they seem not to mesh very well but McCarthy his script his direction do a great job of ensuring that they do and and there's that Damon performance where he he evolves for and it, it's nice to see the the evolution and, and basically mccarthy and damon deconstruct that stereotype of the quote-unquote trumpland person mm-hmm. trumpland white conservative male and they they reconstruct it right in front of your eyes matt damon allegedly spent a lot of time with 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 trump voters and men who work the oil fields in Oklahoma, which is what his character does, to try and get in their heads. And he doesn't ask for a job. I mean, as, as without trying to get into my politics, I appreciated what he did very much. That's the best way to put it. And it, and it, it makes you look at them in a different eye, even if it's just for two and a half hours for a movie. Right. You know, one of the things you brought up is, you know, Matt Damon and, and really being among those titans in Hollywood the last 30 years. It's kind of funny. The way I kind of interpret Matt Damon is I always know it's Matt Damon. This is the first time where I've seen trailers and I've seen bits and pieces of his acting where he kind of seems to not be Matt Damon playing a character. He actually seems to be, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't, I sort of mean it in a Tom Hanks way where Tom Hanks is, he's Tom Hanks. You know, he's Tom Hanks. He's being Tom Hanks, but playing a different person essentially, but it's a good performance or a great performance. And I kind of got that feeling over the years with Matt Damon, but I think he really struck gold when he was able to be in the Martian And of course, he was nominated for an Oscar for that performance because I actually think he was able to play something very similar to himself now as sort of a wisecracking astronaut that, you know, brought us along this fun journey. But this actually really, to me, and I know you you talk about that, you know, he really kind of delves into this role and, and really, yeah, he's Matt Damon. This movie may not get made to the level it's made if Matt Damon's not attached to Star. 
but it really seems like one of those kind of performances that may go under the radar come Oscar season, but maybe it won't because Damon really, you know, invests into this character. What do you think about maybe his chances at the Academy Awards this uh, upcoming year? Um, you know, I don't like, I, I don't like doing the Oscar handicap thing. Yeah. In the middle of the summer. I, I, let's try. Is it Oscar worthy? Is it Oscar level performance? The, oh, absolutely. The okay. performance should be remembered. Right. The performance should get all due consideration, but I don't know what the heck's coming down. The yeah. Yeah. That's true. I just I was curious because you know this is one of those movies where it's it's McCarthy's follow up to Spotlight. Of course, we all know Spotlight did very well at the Academy Awards. Um, so obviously, the idea would be okay. This is going to be a fall release. Everybody's going to love it, and it's going to get that Oscar love. It premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. A little bit of a lukewarm response, you know. Well, Damon got, got a five minute standing ovation. They did. They did get a, a standing ovation. Um, but it, you know, critically it's, it's gotten a little bit of lukewarm response out of can. Um, I know you liked it. I, I read your review. Uh, you know, you did say the pacing was maybe a little bit of an issue for a summer release. That's a language, a language film like this in the summer. So yeah. Right. Do you think it's kind of mis miscast in the, in a summer box office role? Like maybe this should have been marked for uh, at least a September release, even though we've talked about September being sort of a garbage month for movies. But should this movie have been pushed into that fall cat that fall calendar where you see more Oscar contenders out? You always see one movie like this during the course of any given playing against against type. Uh, right. The obvious one is Saving Private Ryan. Sure. I would argue that Seabiscuit was one too. Yeah. So you always see one that that's trying to play to that audience that's looking for something more, Different. yeah, something yeah. Of, of substance to, right. to chew on. So I, I can't say that. Okay. Well, uh, you know, and this is obviously McCarthy's follow-up, but how do you think he handled screenwriting and directing this time around for Stillwater? Um, other than that pacing? The, the film is gorgeous. I I like his writing. I don't think you can. Let's let's just say he left us a lot. He had to match, live up to with with Spotlight. That's the best way to put it. Because that was one of my favorite films of that year too. Right. So, um, um you know, let's try this. The best way to put it, I'd go see another another one of his films in a heartbeat. Sure. Because he, he writes intelligently. And mind you, the, the brilliant thing about this this film and what he does is, as you sense it building to an inevitable conclusion, he manages to build tension with little to no actual action. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's all emotional. And it's tough to do that for anyone. You know, a good example of what you just said, and I have not seen Stillwater, so I can't compare, but maybe you can uh, co-sign on this statement. But I kind of remember watching Spotlight when they were going through all the books where all the priests were listed and they were circling the names. That was some of the most 
thrilling cinema that I had seen that year. I couldn't believe how engrossed I was where all they were really doing was looking through a bunch of books and, and circling things. And it was just interesting and engrossing and thrilling. And like you said, it creates that tension. Like they're building to something without some action set piece or some, you know, thrilling movements having to go on to do it. That was in spotlight. That was like a Eureka moment. Yeah. It, it, it is the same, but it, it, with this, it was more like dramatic. Sure. Tension. And, it, and it, 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 it's not easily forgotten. Well, that's great to hear. I'm glad that it, uh, you know, certainly you enjoyed it. What was your final grade on this one, George? I gave it a B plus, I think. Yeah, B plus. I see that on the, uh, the review there. So definitely uh, worth watching if you're looking for uh, maybe something where you don't have to eat a bunch of popcorn at. Maybe this uh, could be the summer movie for you. You don't want to get all that buttery popcorn at the theater. Well, uh, another movie that's sort of a, I guess you could call a palate cleanser, although it's got a little bit of a backdrop of an action film, is The Green Knight. We talked a lot about A24, uh, maybe selling for billions of dollars a couple of weeks ago. This is uh, maybe perhaps, uh, other than maybe Ex Machina, their their biggest robust production that they've had. Tell us a little bit about The Green Knight. You know what? They're selling a bill of goods because... This book, book, this film is contemplated. There is not a ton of action. Sure. It is a brilliant coming of age story starring Dev Patel as a want to be knight um, who is the nephew of King Arthur. Okay. Um, you know, I, have you ever seen Excalibur? And I haven't in years. Yeah. But I, I remember Excalibur, Excalibur being somewhat of a trip and a half. You know what I mean? Right. Um, this is along those lines. Um, it, I think it's brilliant. It's certainly gorgeous. Um, on Christmas Day, um, Dev Patel's character is hanging out at his uncle's house. His uncle's house. His uncle's castle. <laughs> <laughs> right. Come by to the apartment. The mythical green knight in the in the uh, in the title shows up, and he issues a challenge. Anyone of Arthur's at Arthur's round table can deliver a blow unto him, but in a year's time. He gets to do the same. Now, Deb Patel's character, and I'm, I'm sorry I can't remember his name, he's this full of piss and vinegar kid, basically. I don't care what the facial hair says. I mean, this is a, a kid who's, who spent Christmas Eve boozing it up and, and, and playing with his quote-unquote girlfriend um, who looks as if she's working in a a, a brothel and um, on Christmas Eve before eventually going to his, his uncle's place. You know, you're, you're young once, right? You want to impress people. Yeah. Well, yeah. The Green Knight shows up, issues his challenge. None of Arthur's, Arthur's knights accept the challenge. So he steps up, right? Well, he's going to show them, right? 
Arthur gives him Excalibur, whispers in his ear, and warns him, remember, it's nothing but a game. That's a hint right there. Well, he's not paying attention, or he's too stubborn, because he takes Excalibur after the Green Knight has laid his weapon down, which was a broad axe, laid it down, delivers a death blow. Cuts his head right off. Arthur takes his kudos, his cheers. Boom. He, he, he quits paying attention to those cheers when his, the, the Green Knight starts laughing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Green Knight's body picks up its head, looks at him and says, remember, one year. And it's like, uh huh, yeah, you basically got a year to live, right? Right. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, this is what you'd expect for an art from an Arthurian tale. Tale. It's a tale, a story about honor, and how this young man can get his honor back. And he basically has to go on this quest, meet these challenges along the way to meeting the Green Knight at his chapel so that he can deliver the same punishment. The big question is whether he's going to learn enough to escape his fate. And um, director David Lowry handles all of this brilliantly. And it's got one of the best endings I've seen on a film in about a year or more. So it's filmed wonderfully. Ireland has never looked so beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Country I got to get to someday. It asks those questions about honor. It's a coming of age story. Sure. And ultimately, you have to wonder whether or not that Patel's character gets it. So I enjoyed the heck out of it. That being said, it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Because there isn't a lot of action. Right. It's just a brilliant piece of filmmaking. Sure. Yeah, I think that's that's sort of like you said there, you know, it's kind of being sold maybe as like that summer tentpole, but maybe a little bit more uh, of an enhanced version of something. We've seen a lot of, you know, King Arthur type movies over the years. Some Most of them are in the action mold where it's, you yeah. know, sword and sandals kind of, you know, let's, let's swing for the fences and action. Uh, but yeah, you're right. You know, David Lowry is a, a very talented director. A Ghost Story is a very good film, and I think if this movie could go a couple of different ways, if you get a guy like David Lowry, it's probably going to be a little bit more calm and reserve, and a little bit more storytelling driven. If you get Guy Ritchie, you're probably going to get a lot of over the top action. So, um, you know, sometimes it's about you know who you want to attach to a project, and maybe because A24 got behind this and said we're going to finance this and we're going to make a movie that we want to make as opposed to that action summer blockbuster. And hopefully, you know, I mean, it's been received pretty well. Obviously I know you received it very well, but uh, you know, this is one of those movies that could stick around for the entire year and maybe surprise a lot of people uh, with some nominations because a lot of people are just loving this film. It could very well spend the rest of the summer flying under the radar and have a sneaky solid run. That's the best way to put it. If yeah. you're, if, let, let's make a, a differentiation here. If you're a film fan, you're gonna love this movie. 
if you're a movie fan and, and a movie fan only, yeah, probably not. If you're looking for that summer blockbuster, no. I mean, right. the one thing I, I really appreciate and love about this movie is that it hits on the, the essence of the heart, the essence of, of what Arthur Arthurian legend films are supposed to be about, which is that honor. What's it mean to be honorable? And and I'm trying to think, what was it, King Arthur with Charlie, what's his name? Oh, yeah. Um, Hunnam? Yeah, Charlie Hunnam. Yeah, it was the um, King Arthur Legend of the Sword. Recent efforts like that haven't even come close. They have not. Yeah. And funny yeah. enough, that movie was directed by Guy Ritchie. So. <laughs> <laughs> I realized, I know, I know I had him on the brain, and I looked it up, and I'm like, you know, Guy Ritchie has made a, a King Arthur movie, I thought. And, yeah, sure, sure enough, he made that one, which no one really liked. But, you know, I mean, I'm just saying it's, it's you know, those over-the-top action films that Guy Ritchie's known for, which sometimes he takes swings and hits home runs and sometimes he doesn't so um but yeah i mean uh, you know obviously we you know I, I looked at your review but what was your final score here for uh for the green knight i gave it an a minus i think that might be the best movie that you've reviewed so far oh well maybe uh i know you've talked about other ones but that might be uh 2021 release wise the best movie that i've seen you review though as far as scores Hey, they all blur. I wish I knew. Um, I don't give out a lot of a anything. It's just right, right. You you really have to blow me away, and for him to keep hold my attention, yeah. and and present something to chew on. And mind you, I saw it at eleven o'clock on a on a Tuesday. Right. To, for for David Lowry to do that, it's like yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm in. It's, you're not not always in movie mode at eleven o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday or eleven o'clock at night, really, for that matter. So no, no. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, a good slate of movies this week, and uh, you know, we talked about uh, Disney Plus and their latest uh, release, co-release, I guess you could call it, with the Jungle Cruise being in theaters and on Premier Access, but. Uh, you know, this week we're going to talk a little bit about uh, news that just came out. We're taping here on Thursday the 29th. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, the star of Black Widow, she's played Black Widow now for uh, 11 years, 12 years now, and she has uh, filed a lawsuit against Disney claiming, you know, she needs to be compensated a little bit better. The, uh, the lawsuit is over the streaming release, which, you know, she said her contract essentially states that she should be, you know, given a, a theatrical release only and get paid for the points off of that. A lot of actors, instead of taking salaries or in addition to their salaries, will get back-end points off of movies where when movies start becoming profitable, they get paid those profits, which sometimes it can be very good for you as an actor and sometimes it can be a calculated risk. Um, what are your, what's your take on this? You know, we've seen this last year. We can talk a little bit about this too with Warner brothers, uh, paying Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot for wonder woman. They paid them an extra little stipend for the movie becoming a, a, a same day release on HBO max. What are your thoughts here on Scarlett Johansson trying to cash in? 
Well, what what is the essence of, of Black Widow about? I mean, let's let's face it. It's a Me, me Too era film. Sure. It, they, it takes on the patriarchy there, right? Yeah. I mean, you're you're looking at Robert Downey Jr., who, according to stuff I've I've read, and it varies wild, wildly, but he made in the low end, apparently, three hundred million dollars for all the MCU films, when all of his points were added up. Right. If you're any one of those actors with a solo film, and you're looking to hit on a a, a payday, don't you expect to eventually be compensated like Robert Downey Jr. If right. you think I'm good enough to to carry this film, and let's face it, she and, and Florence Pugh were the best things about the film. She, I'm, I'm pretty sure she thinks she should be compensated like it. I agree. I mean, they could have, I'm, they could have released this solely to theaters. Right. They really could have. But I think, given that there's a quote-unquote streaming war going on right now, it offered them a way to boost their subscriber base. Never mind that they're charging an extra 30 bucks for it. Right. It's still going to get some eyes on Disney+. Plus. My... Yeah. My thing, point blank, is you know, Disney bragged, bragged about uh, 60 million via Disney Plus uh, that first weekend. I think it was 60 million. Where's her cut of that? Period. Right. I, I, I completely agree there. I, I ultimately think that's what this is about. Open up your books, show me what it did on Disney Plus, and w we have some talking to do. And it's her right. I support it, not that she really cares or Disney really cares, but I think there's a, a moral duty there, given everything she's given them over the past 12 years with that character. Sure. You know, it's interesting because uh, I was looking at uh, some of the Avengers MCU payroll. Um, she made $15 million for Avengers Endgame, but it says here, uh, and this is on... Um, uh, on Stylecaster. I don't know if that's a, a great website, but it did have breakdowns. Uh, but Black Widow, $15 million. Now, I'm assuming if she did take $15 million, she probably was going to get points on the back end to more than make up for the fact that she was being paid as a star versus a very prominent secondary character in Avengers Endgame. So... You're absolutely right, George, in, in that she should be compensated. And Disney said, in according, you know, according with their to them, they released that they made about sixty million dollars on top of the eighty million dollars from the box office. They made sixty million, they said, from the premiere access on Black Widow. So she is certainly entitled to that. It's not a guarantee that all of those people would have gone to the theater had it not been available on premiere access, but you can't assume that they wouldn't have. So you almost have no choice but to give her points off of that in some way. Now, I don't know what percentage she should get off of that. Um, and, you know, I guess that's up to the negotiations here. We know that Warner Brothers, I think it was about $10 million each for Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot uh, for Wonder Woman uh, 1984 before that. They were, they were, well, 
George. Well, they were paid before the movie came out, essentially. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, that movie, um, not their best effort. Um, no. So, you know, that they were compensated. Now, I don't know that uh, they were arguing points. I think they were arguing more theatrical release, you know, what they should have been paid off of points of theatrical release. I don't know if they were like saying, hey, HBO Max is going to get X amount of subscribers because of Wonder Woman 1984. Um, I almost think that the premiere access is better for Disney because you're basically, you could, you could subscribe to HBO Max for one month and get rid of it. And, you know, is it really a win for HBO Max or Warner Media if someone's getting in there and coming out and getting out? you know, after a month or so, you know, whereas Premier Access, you have to pay the $30. You get to keep the movie or whatever, uh, you know, digitally. But, you know, maybe it's a better proposition, I guess, for Scarlett Johansson to say, tangibly, I can say this is how much money they made because people had to pay for it and keep it. And that's what they were paying for. They weren't paying for Disney Plus per se. They probably already had Disney Plus and didn't just subscribe to get Black Widow. Yeah, they're paying for my movie. So yeah. So she's got a big argument. I mean, I, I will say this, and we talked about this before we went on the air, and I want to I want to say that this quote, this is from a Disney spokesperson. So they said, Miss Johansson's suit has no merit and is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effect of the COVID-19 pandemic. The company said it fully complied with Miss Johansson's contract Furthermore, the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus with Premier Access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million she has received to date. So, you know, I, I someone's, someone's not telling the full truth here because she's kind of... I don't think she'd be filing a lawsuit if she wasn't getting compensated to the level she believes she deserves and Disney's saying disney's essentially saying no she's wrong she's got a bigger chance to make more well then are you paying her or are you holding it against her and saying that no disney plus premier access is our game you get the theatrical cut it, it sounds to me disney is telegraphing that hey be quiet you can you can make more money that that's what that sounds right. like yeah that's exactly what it sounds like to me. But, you know, when you consider what a lot of the the MCU actors made in their initial contracts, I just go back to the fact that, you know what, her character has been one of the most popular. Yeah. God knows how much merchandise they sold to, to little girls. Yeah. Well, and let's, let's not be sexist, to children across the landscape with her, her her image and bottom line they just need to make this whole make it right yeah and i'm sorry i i'd make it right to her end it's it's business but but and and, and what what bothers me with that release is them playing that pandemic card too sure it's like really yeah really that's supposed yeah. to make you feel guilty for wanting to get paid? Yeah. I wouldn't I, be. You know, obviously, uh, Scarlett Johansson's character is, um, 
I guess you could say for all intent and purposes, not in the MCU at this point, although there could always be the, hey, we invented this machine, you know, whatever. Um, but this kind of leads me to think that you've got a bankable star. You know Scarlett Johansson can bring in the bucks. You could have easily had a Scarlett Johansson in Jungle Cruise or Cruella. Name any any Disney movie that you want. So essentially, I think Disney is burning a bridge with a very bankable action star and terrific actress that they really don't need to be doing this. And now I, I wonder, are they going to get lawsuits filed by Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt? Or, you know, is Emma Stone going to come after them for Cruella money? Or is this an unfair situation that they've they've taken advantage of Scarlett Johansson and maybe Scarlett Johansson only? I don't know that, but you know, I mean, they're they're kind of opening up a can of worms here if they try to play hardball with her. Disney's burnt and rebuilt bridges before. One name, James Gunn. That is true. So, this bottom line, this is this is Hollywood business. This is the way they talk to one another. And what happens, happens. Hey, my money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we can all agree that this is probably going to be settled and it's going to get her. I mean, you know, they they say that the decision to put it on Disney Plus is projected to cost her more than $50 million. I don't know that that's true or not because, I mean... We talked about this a little bit before we got on. You know, the Avengers movies were going to make a billion dollars. I don't know that Black Widow would make a billion dollars at the box office, even if we were starved for movies and the pandemic was a really big thing of the past. It has made a lot of money. It's over $319 million worldwide, so it's done pretty darn well, I think. But I don't know that you can say my points would have gone skyrocketing if I'm talking about a only theatrical release, I mean, maybe they, maybe it would, but I think it's a hard sell that you're going to look at Avengers type points money, because I just don't think Black Widow was ever going to get to that level, even pre-pandemic or post-pandemic. You know, you're probably right, but I, we could go into a deep conversation as to right. why. You, you're probably what right, but that doesn't change. No the morality of any of this it, it, it really doesn't um disney just needs to step up they do and i think they will it just is kind of ridiculous that it gets to this point and i'm sure most people that read about this will probably say it's rich people getting mad at other rich people for not giving them more money to buy a gold car essentially i get where people are coming from on that but you know, when you do a job, you feel like you should be fairly compensated. And she did a great job with Black Widow, probably better than I think what Disney expected, because there was a long time where they just kind of shut down the idea of a Black Widow standalone film. And they made it work. And more so than that, she and Florence Pugh and David Harbour and Rachel Weisz made it work as a great cast. And overall, it, it turned out pretty well. And it's made some money. And it probably gave people the idea that they'd like to see more, not just Florence Pugh moving forward in the MCU, but even more Black Widow because, you know, they, they grew up, you know, 12 years or so worth of Scarlett Johansson performances that she finally got a chance to tackle a full, a full movie instead of just, you know, 
giving looks at the camera or whatever at, at, in Endgame or Infinity War, or battling or screaming or you know whatever it may be. So she finally got a chance to show off her acting chops full time there. And I'd I'd like to see more Black Widow if they want to do another in between you know, sequel or whatever they can do. I don't care. Let's go ahead and do it or, or bring her back. I don't care. This is, this is the movie industry. You know, I always go back to, uh, the great time, movie. Authority. time authority. Yeah. Bring her, hey, right. But I was going to, I was going to, I was going to throw out a shout out to one of my, uh, one of my favorite, just underrated gems of a movie. Thank you for smoking. When they were talking to Rob Lowe's character, Aaron Eckhart was talking about, Oh, we're going to give them cigarettes to smoke in space, and of course Rob Lowe's like, or, or Rob Lowe said that, and of course Aaron Eckhart, being the the tobacco guy, is like, well, wouldn't they blow up? And he said, oh no, it's a it's an easy fix. We'll just invent the whatever machine, and then it's it's done. You can have cigarettes in space, so we can bring back Scarlett Johansson uh, from from death here, obviously, and uh, you know let her uh, play Black Widow as long as she wants to, assuming she gets paid the uh, the proper freight, I would imagine, but. Uh, at this point, who knows what will happen. I hope Disney ponies up because I think this is a, a movie that was fun and it's made some money. It's you know I, I don't know if it's the biggest box office winner of the pandemic, but uh, it's got to be up there probably. So hopefully Scarlett Johansson does get her, her equal share. Yes, there you go. Definitely. All right, George, what do you got coming up here? What's, what's, what's on the horizon movie-wise? Good Lord, I wish I knew. Well, I know we've got Suicide Squad. Next week. Um, beyond that, I don't know. I've been in Brown's world. Yes. Have so, you had a chance to stream anything? I did finally catch up on episode one of Ted Lasso. So uh, my wife was not thrilled with the opening sequence with the dog. Uh, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I, I don't advocate for that stuff like that. But you know what I, I thought of right after Earl did it? I'm like they pulled off a money pipe. They pulled off a yeah. Michelle Wanda. Yeah, that's what I thought. And I'm like, yeah. And I asked Brendan Hunt about it. Okay. I didn't want want to spoil anything for anyone, so I didn't use it. But it's like he's he's like, yeah, that that's kind of great. It's like we were and they worried about whether they could get away with it, yeah. and I think they got away with it because yes. I was howling, and I'm like, I. I, 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 it happened, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and you notice there hasn't been any backlash. None. That's that I read. It's like. Well, I think they're the only backlash. My wife would definitely probably get into that backlash category. But, yeah, the, the show, it was a great kickoff to the season. Uh, I'm excited for more episodes. Um, I also have uh, kept up to date with The White Lotus on HBO. I've been a big fan of that it's just kind of this dry humor but it's it's kind of satirical it's fun over the top at times and uh kind of excited for the last three episodes of that to premiere uh anything else that you're watching as you prepare for the brown season uh i'm gonna have to no i i have to plan my my viewing carefully now yes because five six days a week i'm working on football Right till the end of the year, so yeah, that's my life. Whether it's the Browns or the Akron Zips, right. it's football, football, football. I have. Go ahead. Oh, I, I said I was going to say. You know, we watched the trailer a few weeks ago. I, I have considered starting the Masters of the Universe uh, Netflix series just to see. Uh, have you seen it? Did you watch it? 
I watched the first episode and a half. <laughs> I wasn't a He-Man fan. Okay. I by I what was that early nineties? No, it, uh, well, the cartoon the the, oh, movie, oh. the movie was late eighties. Yeah. Okay, so I was borderline adult. I was in my early twenties. Right. I never got into the cartoon, and it's like okay. It I I watched the first couple episodes one late one night, and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, as someone that their first ever family cat, now this was prior to me being born, but our first cat was named Cringer, which is the um, animal that He-Man rides. Uh, that was a name not given by me, but you know it was a, an affectionate name for the love of He-Man in our family. So uh, I did play with He-Man toys growing up, so I probably will check it out at some point. Although I also play with G.I. Joe toys, and I don't really think I'm gonna run out to see Snake Eyes. So we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll find a compromise. And well, with He-Man, curiosity got the best of me. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry for it. I really am. And I well, know, you know what? We'll always have Frank Langella playing Skeletor in the, in the uh, live-action film. Well, Frank Langella is good in everything he does, so I'm, I'm not going to hate on him for that. <laughs> no, you know, I, he was the only thing that was fun about that film was, was him, not anything else. Everything else was terrible. But Frank Langella, even 37 or 36 years later, whatever it's been, he still kind of ages well in that film. So I appreciate his uh, his turn as Skeletor, as kind of like the uh, the Jack Nicholson Joker before Jack Nicholson played the Joker, I guess, in, in, in a lot of ways where you have this prominent actor playing a really over-the-top, terrible character for, for film. You know what? You know what that, that portrayal of Skeletor remind me of? Remind yeah. me of? You ever see Flash Gordon? Yeah. Being the merciless, merciless assistant, Clytus. Okay, yeah. That <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. All right, well, George, uh, we'll talk to you next week about the Suicide Squad. Um, can't wait to hear your thoughts on that. I hated the first one. I know this is sort of a reboot, whatever you want to call it, but uh, I absolutely just despised the, uh, the first uh the first one, but James Gunn's behind the camera this time, so I'm kind of intrigued to to see what he can uh, bring out with uh, you know Guardians of the Galaxy was very fun in the MCU, so uh, interesting to see how he does here with DC. Well, the first one was a train wreck. Yes. You know what though? Anytime it's on TNT, or you watch TNT, a little bit, <laughs> and I, I I'm scanning through channels. I cannot help myself because. As bad as it was, Will Smith is great. Yeah. And Margot Robbie was Margot great. Robbie, yeah. And it has a visual appeal to it. It has a visual style that is a lot better than the writing and some of the other performances. The visuals, not too bad. You know, there there is a little bit of gravitas with it, but, yeah, with Will Smith, obviously. But, yeah, rest of it, absolute train wreck. Um, so... Hopefully uh, this uh, this latest rendition will not be a train wreck, and maybe DC can sort of get their thoughts together and on how they want to get their universe going again. It, it's kind of hodgepodge at this point, but I'm sure we can talk a little bit more about that next week. Uh, but definitely appreciate you stopping by, George. You can read everything that George writes, especially the three movies that we talked about today, um, at Akron Beacon Journal, uh, beaconjournal.com, at by George Thomas on Twitter. You can find him there. And obviously, you'll be seeing a lot of Browns coverage and Akron Zips coverage coming up from George. So 
Uh, we know you'll get ready in the busy season, but there's always time for movies. You'll find a way, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to find a way to talk to you. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, George. We'll see you guys next week. Later. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.